Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Holly. And we're a married couple living in small town Iowa. If this is your first time listening, the name of this podcast, Inside the Cup, comes from Matthew 23:26, where Jesus explains that if we want our behavior and actions to be good and right, we must first clean the inside of the cup or change what's inside of us. So how in the world can we change what's inside of us? Come join us as we approach this deep question in a down-to-earth conversation about how we can actually change for the good. Welcome back to Inside the Cup Podcast. Last week, we talked about emotional maturity or coming to terms with our feelings, particularly our desires. This week, we're going to be talking about humility. Yeah, so once we've progressed some with our spiritual and our emotional maturity, we're then ready to move on to fostering a genuine humility. So let's get this whole humility thing right. So what do you mean by a genuine humility? When we take a look at this topic of humility, what we'll find, a few different things we'll find. One, we find that it's kind of painfully absent uh, in our current Christian context, But two, it seems like we don't quite have a solid grasp on what this whole idea of humility is. So let's try to dive into some of that here. So Andrew Murray wrote one of the most well-known books on humility. Guess what it's called? Humility. (laughs) (laughs) Aptly titled book. (laughs) And he said that humility is the only soil in which virtue takes root. And a lack of humility is the explanation of every defect and failure. Humility is the first and most essential element of discipleship. And without humility, we will have no abiding faith or love or joy or strength. Murray's basically suggesting that without humility, we will not progress in Christ-like character. Yes, look at some of these statements that he makes. It's the first and most essential element of discipleship. Without humility, we don't even have the soil that virtues take root in. I mean, he's placing this humility way up there. This is a big deal. And he wrote this back in like 1884, but I hear very little about humility in the church or just part of Christian living Let's view that as kind of a cultural artifact then of our time. So he Murray wrote this back in 1884. That was a long time ago. Very different from our modern context. So let's take a look at what humility looks like now uh, in, in modern life. That sounds good because I can't remember the last time I've ever heard a sermon preached on the meaning of humility or the importance of it in the Christian journey. Yeah, or even just think, have you heard a sermon titled or devoted completely to humility? And if so, how many of them? It's obviously not a very frequent topic. Well, I feel like probably pride is mentioned more often than humility. Or even if a sermon is entitled humility, you know, spending very little time on what humility actually is or its place of importance and just kind of quickly goes into a sermon based on pride. So we seem to be more comfortable discussing pride and what that is and what that means than on discussing humility. So what does humility look like now? I mean, what are some examples when you think of humility being mentioned in everyday life? I guess I think of thinking lower of myself 
or being okay with being humiliated somehow. Yeah, it's a way of bringing yourself down. This like self-deprecating thing where if you can kind of lower yourself uh, in front of others, that makes you a, a humble person. Yeah, or choosing to not receive the credit for something that you deserve. Yeah, so let's take an example. So if you do something notable, you know, you accomplish something and somebody comes to give you a compliment on it and says, wow, that was really great what you did. If somebody's response is, you know, it was nothing or, you know, I just got lucky on that or, you know, or, or dodging it and deflecting it. It was actually, you know, this person is the real person to acknowledge. They did all the work and it, I was just the messenger. You know, you would look at somebody like that, that had that response and say, commonly, I think in our culture, you'd say, whoa, that, that person's really humble. That was a really humble response. Almost like you would decline to accept the honor or the recognition. And that makes you a humble person. Yeah, it's like you have the self-control to to choose to not indulge in that praise or recognition. And that's what makes you humble is you can decide not to indulge in that. Yeah, like a hypothetical example of this would be at least as a stay-at-home mom, someone giving a compliment of, oh, you potty trained so early or your kid's so good at this. You must have been so disciplined and way to go on doing these things, and then you just play it off as like, oh, it's nothing. Um, it was really just my kid that really did it. I didn't really have anything to do with it. And you're just quick to kind of brush that off or downplay that somehow. We just think that that's the good Christian thing to do is not to accept recognition or honor to make ourselves look more lowly. So this is one of our false conceptions on this idea of humility is this way of deflecting uncomfortable attention from yourself would make you a humble person. Another way we see it is in this kind of strange, almost willingness or desire to be humiliated uh, would make you a, a humble person. For example, if somebody's talking publicly and they get vulnerable and admit certain faults or it's almost like, oh, that person's more humble or mature. Yes, that willingness to step out and take a risk and uh, be willing to be humiliated in front of others, that makes you humble somehow. I think that's why Murray was suggesting that the reason we hear so little about humility in the church is because how badly we misunderstand what humility actually even means. Well, that makes sense. That's why you would hear it preached so little in church sermons, uh, it talked about so little in, in the church or in Christian circles. If we don't really have a solid understanding on what in the world it is, or its place or importance in the Christian life, that's probably why it's out on the margins like that and, and not discussed. So let's define humility. And Murray's definition is, humility is dependence upon God. Our ability to depend on God. To the degree I depend on God for everything is the degree to which I am a humble person. Now that makes sense. <laughs> Why we must experience some growth, some emotional and spiritual maturity, before we're ready to grow in humility. Yeah, think about what we talked about with these definitions of spiritual and emotional maturity. Spiritual maturity, being ready to give up self-will in favor of what God wills. Emotional maturity, coming to terms with your desires, not having to get what you want. So you're learning to not depend on yourself and self-will. Now you need something better to depend on, and that's God. So you're 
teed up quite nicely for humility now. (laughs) (laughs) And you can see it as a prerequisite. I mean, if you haven't come to terms with your self-will and your desires, you're not ready to depend on God and grow in humility. No, you're, you're ready to be dependent on yourself. So that's why those steps have to precede humility. Uh, spiritual maturity and emotional maturity come first, and that prepares us to be in a good position to take on humility. So what's pride then? Well, pride is just the absence of humility. So not depending on God. And depending on self still. Still in that self-life, we're all very familiar with that. We live in self-will, we live in pride, so we're very familiar with what pride is. So if Murray wasn't clear enough on the importance of humility, there's even an older figure, William Law, that discussed pride and humility. And listen to this quote. The truth is, pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. The one is death, the other is life. The one is all hell, and the other is all heaven. So much as you have of pride... So much you have of the fallen angel alive in you. So much you have of true humility. So much you have the Lamb of God within you. Try that on for size. (laughs) I mean, he's suggesting that the amount of pride we have in us is how much we still have Satan ruling in our lives. Uh, And the amount of humility is how much we actually have Jesus uh, enthroned in our lives. I mean, we tend to brush off pride like it's it's this kind of unflattering character flaw that, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But William Law is really calling that into account here. So what's the solution? I mean, if we're going to talk about cleaning the inside of our cup... Well, this is obviously a huge step in the process of cleaning the inside of the cup. If, if what Murray and Law are hinting at here, this importance of humility, we've got to get this down and we've got to address this because this plays a huge role in the process of changing for the good inwardly. So we must be filled with the humility of Jesus. Yeah, it's what it looks like for a human being to be humble or to be filled with humility. We look to Jesus. That's our model. So let's take maybe our our current cultural understanding or use of the word humility, like we talked about earlier, and now Murray's notion of humility, that it's this dependence on God and superimpose it on Jesus. I mean, we've got, if he's our model and he's the person that's, you know, full of humility, it should make sense, our definition of humility, when we look at his life, his character. And it's kind of funny, if you were to put it in our cultural definition or how a lot of times we hear it, talked about kind of in Christian circles. I mean, give Jesus a compliment. Like, way to go. You really gave a great sermon on the mountain there. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody gives him a compliment afterwards. Wow, that was a great message you delivered. And his response is like, oh. Ah, it's nothing. You know. (laughs) I just just got lucky on that one. You know, it wasn't really me. It was, I mean, honestly, it 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 was all Moses. And David, I mean, was really kind of where I steal all my material from, you know. Or like, way to go, turning that water into wine. Like, oh, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous when you think of Jesus saying that. Like, would he really, like, could you imagine Jesus just being like, oh, it wasn't that big a deal. Like, I mean, someone had to do it. It wasn't... (laughs) Someone needed to make the wine, like, appear. So it doesn't fit. What we're using as humility now in common usage doesn't fit if you try to apply it to Jesus, who is the model of humility. 
it doesn't just not fit. It's kind of ridiculous. It seems silly. <laughs> it's silly. <laughs> Yeah, and if you think about Jesus now in terms of Murray's definition of dependence upon God, Jesus was constantly depending upon his Father for everything he did. Yeah, you just look at some of the references he makes in the Gospel of John. I mean, listen to these statements that Jesus makes. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. John five nineteen. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. John five thirty. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. John seven sixteen. He who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. John eight twenty six and 28. So, I mean, these statements abound in the scripture of Jesus talking about his utter dependence on his Father. And one of the best passages to reflect on humility of Jesus is the kenosis passage in Philippians chapter 2. Yeah, the kenosis. I mean, just reflect on this. If we really want to get a sense of what humility looks like, and Jesus is our model, think about that. So Jesus, the Word of God, the second member in this all-powerful trinity, he gives up everything to take on the limitations of a human body. And he comes down here to earth to live among us in complete dependence on his Father. So how do we become full of the humility of Jesus. We've talked about this on previous steps. None of these steps in inner character growth are going to happen by our own effort. It's going to require some effort, but we're really counting on the grace of God to make this happen. So if it turns out we've become humble or filled with the humility of Jesus, it's by the grace of God that that became a reality in our life. But we're not to be passive in this process. The first step is to understand what humility is, which we have taken some time to discuss today. The next step is to seek it. To genuinely seek humility. I mean, we talked about with spiritual maturity, it being a matter of choosing what we think about, choosing to think about what God wants us to think about. Well, here's a big thing to think about. And we've mentioned how it's kind of painfully absent in the church. Uh, the suggestion here is that humility would actually be on the forefront of our minds, that we're regularly choosing to set our mind on this idea of humility and on the humility of Jesus. So here's some practical ways we can go about seeking humility, some spiritual disciplines. A couple disciplines in particular we can look at with reference to seeking humility. One is scripture memorization. Uh, we talked about this kenosis passage, uh, Philippians 2. That's one thing we can do practically is sit down and memorize Philippians chapter 2, particularly these verses 1 to 16. We bring these ideas into our mind. They become a part of our body. They work their way into us. Or another spiritual discipline could be fasting. Yeah, fasting is a great discipline to practice when we're seeking humility. I mean, at first, when you start fasting, you just can't stop thinking about how hungry you are all the time. <laughs> That's the initial stage. Man, I'm hungry from all this fasting. But it doesn't stay there. I mean, as you learn to fast, you learn to practice that discipline, it goes beyond that initial stage of just thinking about how hungry you are all the time. And what you move into or move towards is learning to draw in your nourishment and sustenance from a different world, from that unseen world that surrounds us all the time. 
I love how Dallas Willard put this. And he said, fasting is actually feasting on God. That's what we're doing when we learn how to fast. And that's a way that can teach us to be more dependent on God. Once we've grown some in this area of humility, we're ready to go on to the next step in the inner transformation of the person, which is faith. And we'll talk about that next week. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Cup Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to receive new episodes automatically. Check out our website at InsideTheCup.com and follow our social media pages on Twitter at InsideTheCupPod and on Facebook and Instagram at InsideTheCupPodcast.